This episode was created on traditional, unceded Coast Salish territories of the Songhees and Wasanich people. You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host for today, Max Monday. My guest host for this episode is Community Development Master's student, Alex Norfolk. How are you doing? Doing good, thank That's you. Good. Okay, Alex, so your research focuses on how national borders are seen in the 21st century, specifically how they play into sex trafficking. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so my research is part of a, a larger project here on campus at the Center for Global Studies. Mm-hmm. It's called Borders and Globalization, okay. and it's a large project that involves uh, multiple universities in Canada as well as internationally. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, basically uh, revolves around how we see borders in the 21st century. And there are various themes within this program. Uh, mine specifically looks at tr- sex trafficking across the border in the Pacific Northwest region. Why is it that you are researching sex trafficking as opposed to something else? You could focus on human trafficking in general if mm-hmm. you wanted to look at this issue. We chose to focus on sex trafficking mainly because we had to kind of narrow it down. If we looked at human trafficking in general, it's probably beyond the scope of this particular study. So w- sex trafficking was something that we, could, we we realized we could maybe do for this particular uh, research project. In my research, I found that sex trafficking happens quite a bit uh, across the border. Canada has been identified as a source country as well as a transit country and a destination country. So by source, we mean that there are uh, individuals who become trafficking victims mm-hmm. from Canada and are taken elsewhere. And as Canada is a transit country, there are people who are brought from foreign countries through Canada and into the U.S. mainly. Are, is it found that Canada is mostly a source, a transit, or a, a destination country? It's a difficult question because the data that we have is fairly unreliable and possibly not accurate as well. Just because it's such a kind of clandestine crime and the perpetrators cover their tracks and victims are often scared to speak up for fear of either deportation or uh, retribution from the traffickers. So it's difficult to, to to say whether Canada is more of a source destination or transit country. So yeah, it's kind of, I don't know if I'm able to answer that at the moment, just because we don't have the comprehensive data on that. In your research and your field work, I guess, you focus mainly on um, the British Columbia and Washington border. Mm-hmm. From a glimpse, I guess, from like a the uh, layman's perspective, it seems as though the border, the uh, Washington and uh, BC border specifically, is relatively lenient uh, and open, specifically pertaining to like the tourism industry. Would you say so for this industry as well, not just the sex trafficking industry, but like the um, the migrant sex work industry? Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll start from I guess from the beginning. Uh, so back in. 2000, mm-hmm. uh, there was a what's called the UN protocol to prevent, suppress, and punish trafficking in persons. So that was developed by the UN, and it called on all nations who were signed on to it to take further steps to combat trafficking. And part of this UN protocol involved stepping up 
security at the border and identification methods at the border. Yeah. Then as soon as 2001 happened and 9-11 happened, those efforts were kind of eclipsed by efforts for the countries to ramp up security at the border. So in terms of looking at and identifying and combating human trafficking, it kind of became more of more, how can we secure the country? So instead of focusing on victims of sex trafficking or perpetrators of the crime, they were looking mainly at who's illegal or who's coming through illegally, who is a security risk. So I don't know if the border is as lenient as it used to be. And in terms of combating trafficking, it's perhaps even more secure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a tough question, though, because we can say it's secure in one sense by way of uh, stopping individuals from coming across who are who are seen as security risks. But it's hard to tell whether it is helping to combat trafficking. You were saying that the the new laws put in place since 2001, since the Homeland Security Act, if you will, Mm. um, and other security acts, both in the States and Canada, you said that uh, these victims of sex trafficking are seen not as victims, but as as criminals or as people that are not wanted in the country because they are immigrants. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so that's a that's a big part of it. So the then this we're looking particularly at foreign individuals. So individuals from outside of the U.S. and Canada, mm-hmm. and mainly there has been uh, reports of individuals coming from South Korea, countries in Southeast Asia as well. So South Korea had a visa waiver program with Canada, so mm-hmm. South Korean nationals could come to Canada without having to gain a visa ahead of time. Yeah, and that was taken advantage of by certain perpetrators of trafficking especially sex traffickers, who could bring groups of individuals into Canada relatively easily mm-hmm. and then either keeping them within Canada or trafficking them across the border. In recent years, Canada has been using what's called the electronic travel authorization. You basically have to sign up ahead of time before you come into the country. You okay. have to kind of register online. So that has been somewhat of a change in this security. So it's not as easy for foreign nationals to come into Canada as it was when it was simply a visa waiver. You've told me that you come across people who are both being trafficked and those who would refer to themselves as migrant sex workers. Mm -hmm. Is there any easy way to tell the difference between the two? Yeah, so that's a big question, at the border especially. We come to realize that the border is not necessarily a very good tool for the identification of sex trafficking victims versus migrant sex workers. Mm-hmm. And there's a big issue with the conflation of the two as well on either side of the border. Mm-hmm. Um, so migrant sex workers can be seen by authorities as either victims or criminals, And there is also the push for self-determination and agency and kind of pushing for their profession to be recognized as an actual, you know, legitimate profession. So, yeah, so if we take it to the border and we look at how border officials identify uh, a migrant sex worker versus a sex trafficking victim, it's kind of impossible in some ways. Because a lot of the time, the elements that make a sex trafficking crime an actual crime are usually the use of force, fraud or coercion to exploit someone, to exploit mm-hmm. an individual. And usually those elements are never seen at the border. Uh, they usually happen either at the destination or the source country. So trying to identify who's perpetrating the trafficking, mm-hmm. who's the trafficking victim, 
and who's a migrant sex worker is very, very difficult. When you say that force is not used at the border, do you mean that the victims of sex trafficking don't know what's happening before they get to their destination? That's a possibility. Sometimes there have been reports of that happening, for sure. Individuals are they're lured on false promises of, of getting jobs, getting legitimate jobs and where they're going to be. And that happens often for victims from foreign countries who get brought over. And then when they arrive at the destination country, all of a sudden they become victims of trafficking. Mm -hmm. So that is also a very big problem. There's a lot of discussion on the difference between a smuggled person and a trafficked person. And so a smuggled person is not a trafficked person because they've hired basically a third party to bring them across the border mm -hmm. um, and to bring them to the destination country. And usually the transaction is finished once they get to the destination country. They pay the smuggler to get them across and then they part ways. But a smuggled person can easily become a trafficked person once they get across the border and the smuggler kind of just says, okay, too bad, now you have basically belong to us, you're in debt now, and the only way you can repay these debts is if you work for us. Basically, in, in the research that I've done, at the beginning, I kind of lay out the difference between a smuggled person and a trafficked person, and then focus mainly on the trafficked victims. One thing that makes your research really difficult that you've told me about is that there isn't a uniform definition of sex trafficking between the borders. How does that affect victims of sex trafficking that are being moved across the border? That's one really big problem, the issue of not having a uniform definition. So there's the UN protocol that I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. had laid out a definition fairly comprehensive for human trafficking in general. Yeah. And lots of countries have built on that or used that as a base and made their own definitions out of that. Yeah. So we have a definition that Washington legislature uses and then a definition that BC uses, as well as a definition that kind of is used in the greater, I guess, a national definition for, either, for both countries. Mm -hmm. And these are all similar, but they're not the same. And that's a problem because we need to really define the issue and get to know exactly what it is we're trying to combat before we can come together and really know how to tackle it effectively. So one of the recommendations my research has kind of led to is to establish a more uniform definition of sex trafficking. And th that can be very difficult, though. That's definitely not an easy task. Why not just use the one that uh, was provided by the UN? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, we, you could, because the UN is, is so sweeping and wide-ranging and tries to include every form of trafficking in there, when you try to kind of parse out the difference between uh, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, you kind of, I guess, it sort of makes sense to split it up yeah. and to kind of look at these different crimes with more specificity. And if we just use the UN protocol definition, then we're looking at it too broad a scale. I think it's maybe a bit too broad to respond to the instances here and there of trafficking. And it wouldn't be too broad of a scale to try and find one definition for two different countries and one border that they share? I don't think so, especially if we're looking at BC and Washington, yeah. um, which is what my research is mainly looking at. In this area, in this specific area, the crimes that have been reported, and I, of course, I, I don't know enough about the amount of crimes that have been reported and the, you know, the data that's being collected, but I would say that the Cascadia region or the Pacific Northwest is... The crimes that we've seen being reported here are fairly, fairly similar to mm -hmm. each other, like between the, across the border, that we can possibly, I think it's not too much of a stretch to say that we can come to a, a uniform definition between the two 
areas. The fact that we don't have a specific definition for sex trafficking across the two borders, how does that affect victims of sex trafficking that are being moved across the border? How does it affect them? If we don't know what we're looking for Mm -hmm. and we can't really define what we're looking for, it leaves space for border officials to interpret crimes based on their perspective, kind of using their own perspective and relying on their own kind of perception of what trafficking is to identify this this at the border. So, so that's another issue is that if border officials aren't quite on the same page about what they're looking for, it leaves room for it to be wrongly identified at the border. Yeah. Um, and so it leaves it, it leaves room for perhaps sex trafficking victims to be seen as criminals migrant sex workers to be seen as criminals or victims it can get kind of messy Mm -hmm. and so people can be wrongfully accused and looked at as criminals as opposed to people who have been victims of a crime so yeah i think that's one of the main issues because there is not a uniform definition how does Uh that affect migrant workers it's a problem because if it was a migrant sex worker who is going across the border as a professional choice or as their own choice if a border official sees that person as, oh, this is a migrant sex worker, but questioning their agency, yeah, then that's a problem. That's a really big problem. You know, how can you say one person is more qualified to go across the border than another? Or how do you say that one person is who is going across the border as a professional choice? It becomes an issue of the legitimacy of what they're doing. Included in this whole mix is that sex work in general is seen as a misdemeanor in in the States or in Washington state for sure. So they're immediately criminalized and that's a problem as well. One of the recommendations that I come out with that I would like to see is that the decriminalization of sex work, because if you criminalize it, it leaves more room for people who are in that line of work to be victimized, to be vulnerable to to other crimes, including sex trafficking. The research that you do, it's really heavily influenced on your time spent in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. uh, where you learned about how Vietnamese people, mainly young Vietnamese women, were being trafficked into China. What made you decide to continue your work with victims of trafficking in BC and um, in Washington? And uh, I guess, what made you decide to continue your research uh, at UVic? In Vietnam, I was working for a nonprofit organization that was a, a children's charity, and a, it was a foundation that worked with street kids and orphans and runaways and victims of trafficking as well. Mm-hmm. So as I was working there, they developed a program that worked specifically with girls and young women who had been trafficked across the border into China from mm-hmm. northern Vietnam. And so that was my initial introduction, really, into the whole trafficking issue. I mean, I, I we've all heard about it before, but to get that, you know, really in in your face, it was kind of a reality check for me yeah. to see that it happened and, and in such horrific circumstances. You know, it was just it was a, it was a horrible thing to learn about. When I left the organization and came back to Canada, to my choice to do an, a community development master's program was uh, directly a result of working at that organization. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell into this research. It was it was kind of right place, right time, very serendipitous. Uh, I was uh, looking for a research assistant position kind of anywhere in the university, and I heard about board, the Borders and Globalization Project and uh, decided to kind of see if there was any you know, openings for, for any researchers. And 
positions and uh, just so happened that this was available in this particular subject. So kind of my prior experience, however small it was with trafficking, human trafficking and and then sex trafficking in particular, Mm -hmm. it kind of worked well. And then to realize that, well, it happens across the world, but also in this in this little kind of corner of our, you know, the, the world. That, that happens and, and on such a, a large scale is is that was pretty surprising to me and mm-hmm. and and doing this research has kind of been very very eye-opening have you seen any similarities between what you experienced in vietnam versus the research that you're doing here well i guess the main similarity would be that traffickers anywhere are just very very manipulative they're i guess smart in a way if you wanted to call it smart in that they constantly are using different methods to escape detection they're masters of of manipulation and and moving through these loopholes or making these false promises and 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 you know the similarity i would see would would just be the the type of person that does the that perpetrates these crimes mm-hmm. um, across the board, these individuals that are just straight up sociopaths. And, and <laughs> yeah, in terms of uh, f- the efforts that are being put in place or the policies that are being used if, to, to combat the issue. I mean, Vietnam is slow to acknowledge the fact the policies were just implementing, slowly implementing the policies in Vietnam, whereas here, you know, we've got there are a lot of things that I guess a lot of efforts that are that are being put in place across the border and at the border to combat it. And it's a well-known thing. But in, in Vietnam, it wasn't as much. So do you feel like you were making more progress in Vietnam than progress that is being made here in a way? You could see the progress much more because it was such a, a new, like combating the issue was so new in Vietnam. And, and it was, and the organization that I was a part of uh, was kind of innovative in its in its methods to combat the crime and and really they would go to rural areas and, and help to train the enforcement the law enforcement there and to train them in recognizing the crime uh, you know you could see progress um, because the organization worked with the actual victims you could see their progress in reintegration once once you know going back to school and you could see I guess you could see more tangible uh, results. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that it, that we were anywhere near kind of like combating the issue completely at all. It's, it's still still very widespread and, and, and all over. And that will take a long time. Mm-hmm. But here, I, I don't know if we're able to see as much progress just because maybe it's being overshadowed by the security that's in place at the border and all these other policies we've put in place to make the country more secure. So maybe we're not addressing the issue as, as well as we could as we could be. regards to the BC Washington border do you think that the bigger issue to combat right now is to handle what is sex trafficking versus who is a migrant sex worker or is it more to figure out how to combat sex trafficking as a whole we need to be looking at it from a wide angle and, and seeing you know sex trafficking as a whole what is the what what is the cause of sex trafficking like when we get get really get down to it we're looking at, you know, poverty, inequality, these kind of things. What makes a person vulnerable to this kind of stuff? So we really need to look at that. And and I think that on either side of the border, bo- on both sides of the border, there's a lot of efforts to, to combat human trafficking as a whole and in general, in general. For instance, there's the Washington State Task Force 
headed by uh, Marilyn Chase, who's a, a senator, a Washington State senator. She is, uh, you know, a force for 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 good in in the fight against trafficking. Um, and sex trafficking in particular. So I think we can't uh, deny the, look at it from a wide angle and actually tackle it as a huge issue in general. But that also means we need to have uniform definitions and we need to have uh, uniform methods of data collection as well Mm -hmm. um, between, between the border. So we can look at both sides of the border doing amazing things to raise awareness and to kind of tackle the issue on their own separate sides of the border. But we need more uh, a better form of, I guess, exchange of information between the two. Open these channels of communication that would allow for this information that we're gathering on both sides of the border to be shared openly. And more, and, and that would be, I think, would be a great step in the right direction. How do you hope that your research will help victims of sex trafficking in the future? Well, I'm hoping that the recommendations and the challenges that I found, like I've raised these challenges and, and, and produced recommendations based on my limited research, I'm hoping that this can be a part of something larger in that we, you know, we get the word out there more. And raising awareness is, is, is one huge aspect of this. Mm-hmm. I just hope that, you know, this small, you know, drop in the bucket or what, you know, this tiny little research paper that I'm putting out uh, will help to kind of raise awareness of the issue, putting this together with other research that people have done, you know, yeah, lots of other research and all these books that people have written, but having it be more immediate, and I'm hoping this will will help to create the sense of urgency about the issue. And we need because we we need to do something about it. It tends to be overshadowed by other things, but this is a this is a big problem, and people need to know what's happening, and we need to get it out there. It, not not just to policymakers and to people who are at the border, border officials, but to the general public. Yeah, so I, I guess you just need to get the information out there and and hoping that my what I'm doing can kind of help that along kind of raise awareness. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 89.9.